I love uh, professional wrestling. And you may say, it's fake, Larry. I'm 40 years old. I know it's fake. And uh, so is The Bachelor and Star Wars. And, and so those are all fake. So there, we both like things that are fake. And so I like professional wrestling. It's the most white trash thing about me. And uh, it's because I grew up in the 80s, man. I, I grew up in the 80s when pre professional wrestling was huge. I get up on Saturday morning and watch cartoons and then come alive when the Macho Man and the Ultimate Warrior graced my screen. I'd get excited and I see some dads shaking their head of like, heck yeah, I did the same thing there. And there was really one rivalry that eclipsed them all and it was Hulk Hogan. If you know who Hulk Hogan, do you guys know who Hulk Hogan is? Um, if you don't, Aaron, I, I, oh my goodness, I'm not, I'm not going to say anything mean right now. Uh, uh, versus Andre the Giant. And this feud culminated at WrestleMania 3, and it was one of the most historic matches of all time. And it's always referred to as uh, uh, one of the greatest matches of all times. Yet Hulk Hogan, who was like six, seven, he wasn't a small guy, he was about 300 pounds against the seven foot four Andre the Giant who was over 520 pounds at this point. And so the match wasn't long because these guys are both huge and they, they're not really in shape. And, and so, but it was a giant back and forth between these guys. And so they had this big stare down where Hulk Hogan, who's huge, is looking up at Andre the Giant. And then Hogan tries to pick up Andre the Giant, body slam him, but Andre's too big. And then Andre gets him in a big bear hug and the life is draining out of Hogan and you think Hogan's gonna lose. And then Hogan rallies back and he does something that has never been done before. He picks up Andre the Giant and body slams him. In fact, it had been done a bunch of times before, uh, but, but that's kind of no big deal. That's what happens in wrestling. And he pins him for the one, two, three, the hero wins. And the announcer, he called this match, it, it was the irresistible force versus the immovable object. Two giant Goliaths going back and forth. Sometimes it feels like we have two Goliaths going back and forth inside of us. Last week, Paul encouraged us to use our freedom from the law to love one another in freedom. It says, use your freedom to love and serve one another. And there's a part of me that's like, yeah, I want to I wanna love and serve people. You know, Jesus loved and served me. I should love and serve people. But when the rubber hits the road, there's another force inside of me that pushes back. And Paul called it last week, the flesh. The flesh, it's this sinful part of us. It's, it's related to our old man, our, our, our desires that are left over from, from being enslaved to sin. We're not enslaved to sin any longer, but we still have this part of us, this pull to not do what God wants us to do. Have you ever felt that tension inside of you? I want to do this. I want to serve people today. I want to love people today. But then as you go throughout your day, there's opposition. Feels as if there's a Goliath that you, you have to kind of overcome before you can do what God wants you to do. Today, Paul talks about what's going on inside of us. He talks about this fight, this battle, this tension, and how we might overcome the flesh 
and live a life of freedom that God has called us to. And so I think every single one of us is interested in this. Moms, I know you're interested in this. I want to love my, my family today. I want to serve them well. I don't want my flesh to get in the way. Dads, I know you're the same way. Hey, I'm coming home from work today. I want to love my family. I want to serve them well. You don't want your flesh to get in the way. Today's passage is for you. Turn to Galatians 5. Turn to Galatians 5, 16. Turn to Galatians 5, 16. Again, if you don't have a Bible, got one in the back for you. It's yours to keep if you'd like to keep it. Galatians 5, 16 says this. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Underline that term, walk by the Spirit. We're going to come back to that. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual morality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like, and more. It's not an exhaustive list. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Go back up to verse 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not not gratify the desires of the flesh. So if you desire to overcome the flesh, if you desire to overcome the flesh, if you desire to not be dominated by your man-centeredness, If you want to be more like Jesus and live in the freedom he has offered you, know that it will not happen through sheer willpower. You cannot white knuckle it. You cannot look to Jesus and then go, I want to be like that. So I'm just going to try really hard to be like Jesus. No degree or certification ensures that you will overcome the flesh. It only happens when you walk by the Spirit. It only happens when you walk by the Spirit. Christians have been indwelt by the Spirit. We receive the Holy Spirit. We put our faith and trust in Christ. The Holy Spirit is is both our supernatural guide. He shows us what to do. But he's also our supernatural fuel source. He empowers us to do it. So he's our guide, and he empowers us to live the life that he calls us to, that God calls us to. The Holy Spirit is not here to help you decide what to order for lunch. I'm not sure God is concerned about that. The Holy Spirit is not here to tell you who you should draft first on your fantasy football team. I think when we go to God, God, who, who should I pick? I, I think the Holy Spirit's like, this is what you're, you're coming to me with? <laughs> like, I'm not sure the Holy Spirit is concerned about getting you, guiding you to the playoffs and empowering your team to help you win 20 bucks. We have God living in us. 
guiding us and empowering us to do this, to put down sin and to pick up holiness. To not do that which is sinful and to do all that is Christ-like. That is the Holy Spirit's intended desire for you, to guide you into Christ-likeness. It's not to guide you in arbitrary decisions. It's to guide you into Christ-likeness. It's to put down flesh and to put on holiness, Christ-likeness. So what does it mean to walk by the Spirit? Man, I think we get this mixed up in, in you know, church culture today. The word for walk, it has the idea of walking around after someone or to walk in a particular direction. If you look down at verse 25, walking by the Spirit, it's about being led by the Spirit. We're going to cover that next week, but, but I think that's the idea. There, there are people who walk dogs, and then there are dogs who walk people. Do any of you have a dog that walks you, that pulls you around, that jerks you? Uh, they usually, ch- I had a dog like this, Goldie, uh, would choke herself uh, for, for miles. A- and some of us treat the Holy Spirit like a dog who walks the person. The Holy Spirit is there, he has a leash, but we are the one that is determining where we're going. I want to go here, I want to sniff that, I want to eat that, I want to touch that, I want to go over here, I want to do this now. If you, you know, Holy Spirit, you may be leading me to do something else, but, but I'm going to go ahead and choke myself and, and go the other way. I'm going to go ahead and hurt myself and, and just do what, what I want to do. The Christian life is about being led by our owner, the God who lives in us. The word walk has this idea of ongoing activity as well. It's continually, hour by hour, minute by minute, in every situation, let the Holy Spirit lead. And when you do that, you'll be led away from the flesh and into all that God has for you. And if you really want to break it down into one word about what does it mean to walk by the Spirit, I really think the word is yield. Yield. That is an un-American idea. In, in American Christianity, we want to be told what to do, and we want to try our best to do it on our own strength, our own power. We want to pick up our bootstraps. But growth, sanctification, becoming like Christ, putting to death the flesh happens when we yield to the Spirit. When we yield to the Spirit, we put the flesh to death. And you'd be like, well, what, what do you mean yield to the Spirit? Again, this is all kind of abstract language. What are you, what are you talking about yield here? Well, I, I think there's three A's. We'll, we'll look at three A's. And, and here's the first one is, is just to admit. Write down the word admit. If you're writing anything down, admit. Admit you are powerless to do that which God has called you to do on your own. Say, God, I need you. I need you to show me what to do today. God, I need you to help me today to do those things, to empower me today to do those things. How often do you admit your your need for God to come in to you 
and, and manifest in such a way that helps you to put down that which is sinful and to put on Christ's likeness. God, I need you. I need you. I'm really struggling with sin. I've, I've put up all these boundaries and I've tried real hard to not do that thing. Have you admitted to God that you cannot do that on your own? So admit. Number two is to acknowledge his presence. See, I've admit your helplessness. You have acknowledged his presence. I think we go throughout the day not even acknowledging that the Holy Spirit lives in us. I think he's like a friend we just don't talk to. We ghost the Holy Ghost all the time. We pretend like he's not there. What would it look like for us to continually acknowledge his presence? God, you're here. God, God, give me, give me insight and in direction onto how to handle this situation. I was walking into a meeting the other day. God, help me right now. Spirit, help me to, to, to I know you're with me. I know you're here. Help, help me to love these people and encourage these people. Hey, we, we got, we got uh, my sermon today, even. I'm, I'm, hey, Spirit, help me to do this. I, hey, hey, I'm going into work today. Spirit, help me to love and encourage and serve people at my, who do you want me to talk to? How do you want me to talk to them? Hey, Spirit, I'm, I'm, I'm parenting my kids right now. I'm disciplining my kids. I acknowledge your presence. I know you are here. Help me to, to love and serve them and parent them and raise them up in a way that pleases you. How often do you acknowledge the Spirit's presence in your life? I think we get in the most trouble when we believe that we are alone and God is nowhere to be seen. We need to acknowledge that the Spirit is, that's part of walking with the Spirit. We're literally just walking with the Spirit. He's with us. And then the last one is to act. Act in faith. The, the, the life of walking by the Spirit isn't completely passive. Who's saying Jesus take the wheel? I think she, that was quick. Um, you guys are all caffeinated. Carry on. <laughs> It's not just, Jesus, take the wheel, I got nothing to do. The Holy Spirit leads. At some point, we have to step in faith and follow. We have to act. You may talk to this person, okay. You may talk to this person, okay. You may love my wife like this, okay. I, my, my flesh is, 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 is raising up right now, I wanna do what I want, I wanna rest, I, I wanna sleep. Spirit, help me to overcome that, help me to do what you would have me do. Now, all of this presupposes we're, we're reading God's word. We can't really do this apart from God's word because that's where we find out who God is. That's where we find out what he desires for our lives and what he wants us to do. And so God shows us, the spirit guides us and empowers us into Christ's likeness. Walk by the spirit, walk by the spirit and put down the flesh. Look at verse 16 again. So I say, walk by the spirit. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. One pastor said we should see that there is no neutral ground here. We are living in one sphere or, or the other. We're either submitting to the spirit's leadership or we are gratifying our flesh. And here's the way you deal with sin. You say no to the flesh but you also say yes to the spirit. 
Walk by, yield to the spirit because the battle is intense. Look at verse 17. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. A fight is taking place inside you. In this corner, we have the old man born from disobedience, the embodiment of our selfish desires, the flesh. In this corner, we have hailing from heaven, the third person of the Trinity, the new life giver and sustainer, the promised gift to believers, the parakeet, the ruach, the Holy Spirit. And these two opposing forces with different agendas battle in you since the moment you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The Christian life is a war. The Christian life is a war. And, and I think one of the problems in our culture is we just don't really take sin that seriously. But there's, there's a battle for your soul going on inside of you. And it's tempting to think this. Man, the conflict is strong in my life. I identify with what Larry is talking about. There's a battle going on. I constantly know I should be doing this. There's something in me that feels led to do this, but my flesh battles back. I must not be a Christian. Man, you may say the battle's strong. I must not be a Christian. Well, the opposite is actually true. The battle between the flesh and the spirit is normal for the Christian. And until Jesus comes back, you will experience that internal tension in some way. But there's hope. Look at verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not, not under the law. Before this section, Paul talked about being under the law as being under a curse, under sin's power. The law exposes our sin and it shows us that we are unable to do anything about it on our own. The law is powerless to overcome the flesh. There were probably teachers teaching that if you hold to the law, if you hold to the law, if you do this, if you do this, you can overcome the flesh. Well, under the law, the flesh had the home field advantage. He was the favorite. But you now have the spirit. You have been freed from the burden of keeping the law in the reign of sin. You are freed to please God with the help of the spirit. The flesh is still a player but it's not one you need to lose to anymore. In so many sports and competitions, it's really hard to tell who's ahead, like boxing. Like football, you have a scoreboard. Whoever has more points is ahead. Boxing's different. Some, like boxing's supposed to look like a fight, but sometimes they're just like touching each other and uh, it's like, who's really winning this? And then they're like, well, this guy won the fight. And you're like, really? How did that happen? Uh, synchronized swimming. Uh, it's, it's hard to tell, you know, who's ahead, who's doing better. If it weren't for, uh, you know, the announcers of synchronized, I'd be lost to be like, oh, they all look so weird. And, uh, uh, you know, they're, they're, her feet fluttered a little less than the other person's. I mean, it, it's not hard to tell if somebody is walking by the Spirit or indulging the flesh. Look at verse 19. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, 
dissensions, dissensions, division, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Here's how you tell if somebody is living to gratify the desires of the flesh. You see these, these vices. The first three vices focus on sexual immorality. God takes sexual sin seriously. It grieves the spirit. It affects others, not just the ones sinning. It dishonors those who are made in the image of God. It violates God's pure plan for marriage. It is antithetical to the New Testament idea of love. He takes sexual sin seriously. The next two vices deal with false worship. Idolatry is a foundational sin in Paul's theology. It's to value more and trust in created things rather than the creator. It's robbing God of worship, like witchcraft. You don't trust God. You look to rituals and mystical practices to bring about a desired end. The last vices deal with social sins. The flesh abuses, it destroys, it divides, and it demeans. And then he warns us in the last part of 21, I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is not saying that if you fail or, or mess up as the battle wages, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. You are under what is called grace in Christ. So what is it saying? What I believe it is saying that is if you continually give yourself over to the flesh, if the works of the flesh categorically dominate you, if the battle doesn't even look like a battle anymore or never did, there's a good chance that the spirit isn't in you. Because the spirit in us fights for holiness, which means you haven't been saved yet, which means the kingdom of heaven is not yours to inherit. So there's a bit of a, a warning there. There's a bit of internal inspection that should go on. It's when the battle stops. It's when the battle ceases and you give yourself over to sin that reveals maybe I really never put my faith and trust in Jesus at all. There are works of the flesh, there's fruit of the Spirit. Look at 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I think we too often hyperbolize, exaggerate, what it looks like to walk in the Spirit. I think certain denominations stress certain things that maybe we won't stress as much here. Crazy supernatural experiences. That's what it means to walk in the spirit. Is to have crazy supernatural experiences. You know, God audibly spoke to me. Man, God has never audibly spoke to me. He's led me and guided me. God gave me a prophecy and he wanted me to tell you this. God, God, you know, he, he, he did this absolute crazy miracle. He showed me to do this and play these lottery numbers. And then I won and, 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 and God's good. I mean, I, I, those things can happen and God can work that way. But what is stressed here is very, very practical. This is what it looks like to regularly walk in the spirit. And it starts with this love. 
Love. Paul has another one of these lists in Romans. He starts it with love. So if you're having crazy visions and God is audibly speaking to you, but you don't love people, you are not walking by the Spirit. Paul calls all that other junk rubbish if it is without love. And love is serving others, offering ourselves up to others. And biblical love is so that they may themselves offer them up, themselves up to God. We love people to, to lead them in Jesus, to, to Jesus. We love them sacrificially. You have joy. The flesh produces in us constant dissatisfaction. If you are constantly dissatisfied, that is the flesh rising up in you, antagonizing you. The spirit produces deep joy in every circumstance. Peace is peace with God and peace with others. Patience is the ability to endure difficult people <laughs> and situations without losing your stuff. Kindness is a term that refers to God's kindness and offering salvation through Christ. So we are Christ, we are kind when we are generous with others. Goodness is a life of moral uprightness in a world darkened by evil. Faithfulness is a life of loyalty and dependability. Are you able to keep your word? That is a fruit of the spirit. Gentleness is a tender-hearted attitude towards everyone and self-control is the ability to, to overcome our sinful passions. That is the fruit of yielding to the spirit. When we yield to the spirit, God produces those things. But, but there's something important that we need to discuss as we kind of close up here. Look at verse 23. Against such things, there is no law. What I believe Paul is saying here is the law cannot produce such things. Another way to say it is our, our efforts apart from the work of God cannot produce such qualities. These virtues, they, they come from walking by and being led by the Spirit. Is the fruit of the Spirit evident in your life? You may say, I mean, sometimes they, they break through, but, but no. Paul is not saying that you need to try harder to be kind. You need to try harder to be patient. You need to try harder to be tender hearted and generous. That is not what Paul is saying here. And that's what we do with this, the fruit of the spirit. We kind of put it, we, we, we look at it like a test. Hey, are you doing these things? Well, I mean, if this is a test, I am nowhere close to passing. Um, and, and so uh, I just got to try harder at, at loving other people. That is not what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying we walk by the spirit and this is what happens when we do. We admit our helplessness. We acknowledge the Spirit's presence continually in our life, asking for his help. And then we act in faith. And the fruit of that, the fruit of that yield, yielding are, are these things. As Paul closes this section, he wants to make something very, very clear. Look at verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. From this passage, 
Paul wants us to make sure that we don't believe that the Christian life is a tug of war, that believers are consigned to spiritually consigned to a spiritually meager existence of perpetual defeat and minimal growth. Paul doesn't want us to, to look at this battle and become pessimistic. Well, I'm just consigned to mess up. My flesh is just gonna, it's gonna have its way at different times, and it's just kind of kind of the way it is. Paul wants us to be optimistic. We have been crucified with Christ. You have been crucified with Christ. When you, when you died with Christ, your flesh was also crucified and put to death. That doesn't mean you don't feel the flesh's power or influence in your life, but it does mean that in your new life in Christ, your flesh no longer reigns or rules over you. A decisive victory has happened at the cross. The ultimate battle has been won. It's not the irresistible force versus the immovable object. It's the debilitated force versus the omnipotent object. And so we yield to the spirit to overcome the flesh, but it's a flesh that is not on equal footing with the spirit. It has been put to death. And so our enemy, the flesh, it fights with one foot in the grave. And so we can't, as Christians, simply say, I'm, I'm just going to do that. I, I'll have no victory in my life over this sin. There's no way I can overcome this. What you are ultimately saying is the spirit isn't strong enough to well up in you to overcome that sin that issue. And what it really is, is an unwillingness to yield to that spirit that's desiring to work in our lives. You have everything you need for victory. You have everything you need in victory. Your flesh has been crucified. You have the spirit. And if you walk by it, there will be victory. In part, in this life, you will mess up. But that victory will, is ensured when Jesus comes back. Let's pray.